the deal. We believe that the Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. You guys are getting better with that every single week. Let's do it one more time. The Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. From beginning all the way to the end, everything is about Jesus. No matter what you're talking about, what you're going through, what you believe, it always, always, always points back to the person of Jesus. And as we've discovered over the past, man, 12 weeks in this series, from every story, we begin to see these parallels or these dialogues or these things that we can compare to types and shadows of Jesus. And it continues on in this week. Now to take four chapters in the book of Ruth, four chapters is the book of Ruth. It's a pretty quick read. There's some things that we, we've got to understand about it. We know in the Bible that there are two ladies who have books of the Bible named after them. The first one is Ruth. The second one is Esther. Very good. Everyone say Esther. So we've got Ruth and we've got Esther. Now, the story of Ruth, if you guys go back a couple weeks ago, we were in the book of Judges. And we were talking about the different judges that ruled during the time that Joshua passed to the time that the kings are going to begin to take place. Here in just a few weeks, we're going to be getting over to that side of there. But in between, we had these judges. The story of Ruth actually takes place in that time of the judges. Not a lot of people know that. But when you go back and you look at the four chapters, there's a lot of different ways that we can break it down. But I really felt impressed upon my heart upon studying the life of Ruth and the stories and all the things that we, that we see there are some things that begin to stick out about Ruth that I think would be very beneficial for us today as believers because the Bible means today what it meant back then, okay? We can still apply it. It's still relevant. It's still the number one selling book year after year after year. The Bible, you can bank on it. You can trust it. Everybody said, amen. Listen to me. We're coming into a time in our world where people are going to say the Bible isn't true. The Bible is true. It's the very word of God. Now, we're looking at this story of Ruth, and there's some things that I want you to know. The first thing is this. It's not a point, but it's worth noting. When you look at the story of Ruth and the characters of Ruth, you begin to find out very quickly that everything seemed stacked against Ruth and Naomi and all of the people that begin to take place. The circumstances were definitely against them. Their upbringing, definitely against them. And really, their past culture was against them. It's like they were just in this incredibly hard season where, um, where the decks just seemed to be completely stacked against them. And as you read it, you begin to wonder, how is God going to maneuver this thing out? And even though everything was stacked against them, let's just bring it to your life. Have you always felt like everything was just completely stacked against you? No matter how well you did, no matter how much you trusted God, no matter how much you prayed, no matter how much you kept going to church, no matter how many times you kept giving, you kept doing the things that you know you're supposed to do, but it just feels like everything is stacked against you. Am I talking to the right crowd here this morning? It just seems stacked. When you read this story, it's all against them, yet there's this truth. They're incredibly blessed during this time. Even though things were stacked, they were, they were still blessed. Now, we have an Israelite, and I'm going to probably say his, his name wrong a lot of times today, so just go with me. I might have to call him Easy e for short, but we have an Israelite, and his name is Elimelech. Woo! Said it right on the first one. He lives in Bethlehem. Think of this, which means the house of bread. 
But yet where he is, there's a famine in the land. How'd you like to be called out? We're the place that's known as the house of bread. You got any? Nope. We're in a famine. And so Amalek in this story does something that's pretty unwise when you begin to read about him. He packs up his family, grabs all of his belongings, and sells his ancestral land and inheritance and moves to the country of Moab. In other words, everything's against them. They're in a famine, something that belongs to him and absolutely everything, family included, says, hey, we're packing up. We're getting out of here. Now, here's the deal. He could have gone to another place in Israel. He could have. He could have even gone to where one of the tribes on the other side of the Jordan board, Moab, but he didn't do that. It's worth noting that he goes into the land of Moab, which is the sworn enemies of Israel. Does that sound like anybody to you? A couple weeks ago, we talked about a guy by the name of Samson. Where did Samson go? He went to the land of Timnah, the land of wine. What's he supposed to not drink? Wine. What are they? They were the enemies of Samson and the people. So Emma, there you go, easy E, goes to the land of the enemies. Now here's the deal. He didn't go there to be a missionary. And when you look at his story, here's what happens. Things didn't go quite well. And he actually died pretty quickly after being there. He then has two sons who marry pagan girls. Ten years after they'd been there, what happens? Both children die. So now you have these characters in the Bible. You have Naomi, and then you have Orpah, not Oprah. you got to read that slow when you go through there. Like, what's Oprah doing in the Bible? No, you have Naomi, and you have Oprah, and her two daughter-in-laws, and here's the deal. I know. I'm sorry. Orpah, Orpah, Opa. There you go. That's how I remember right there. And they all got widows. Now, here's the deal. They're completely destitute. Things didn't get better. They moved for things to get better, and things kept getting worse. I'll say this. Anytime you go over and you begin to lay with the enemy, and you begin to surround yourself with the enemy, instead of attacking the enemy, <laughs> how do you mean, you know, things are going to get worse. Things get worse. So they're destitute, and they have no future. But God, again, in his grace and his mercy, even God of the Old Testament, grace and mercy, yes, there was judgment, but make no mistake about it, he was also a God of mercy and of grace. That's the whole story of the book of Judges. It's the cycle of sin that they kept doing. Okay, commit to God. Okay, things are going good. I don't need God. Okay, things got bad. Okay, cool. Sends another judge. What does God do? God restores them. Things are good for a little bit. Uh-oh, we don't like this. They go back to sin. They go back to mingling. They go back to living like pagans. They go back to worshiping idols. All of a sudden, the fall happens again. What does God do? Grace, mercy, sends another judge. Twelve. So God's a God of mercy. So in this story, God comes, and the word comes that God has visited his people in Israel and he's given them bread. There's been rain, and they've had a wonderful harvest because of God and his goodness. So Naomi says, I'm going back to Bethlehem, to my hometown. And the girls decided to go with her. But Naomi stops them along the road and says, look, don't come. Go back to your people and go back to your gods. In other words, there's no future for you here. Go find some husbands. Right? That's what she's saying. You've been kind to me, but here's the deal. You, you just got to go your own way. 
But Ruth, I want to say Ruth. Ruth does something. She clings to Naomi and says, listen, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and I love this, and your God will be my God. And so Naomi realizes that the girls can't be persuaded to turn back. So the two of them carry on. They get into Bethlehem. Again, they're destitute. They have nothing to eat. Man, again, circumstances, time after time after time. So what happens? Ruth says, look, I'm going to do something. I like Ruth. Ruth's a go-getter. Ruth's a get-it-done kind of lady. Ruth says, look, I'm going to go out after the reapers in the field and see if I can glean after them and get some of the things that they've passed over, which was allowed under the Jewish law. Ruth starts to go to work. So she goes out there, and there are thousands upon thousands of acres of cultivated land. And the scripture says, this is funny to me, that Ruth happens to fall upon the field of Boaz. I love it. The Bible is reading. That's cool. I like it. You're good, buddy. That's all right. I'm just going to say that's the read scripture app reading just right to you. He's looking up scripture, people. <laughs> Pastor Frank, you pastored this church for many years. You can do whatever you want, sir. <laughs> all right, all right. Man, I'm just reaping the benefits of you, sir. So, so here's the deal. So she stumbles upon the field. You can't make this stuff up. It's so good. So she stumbles upon the field of Boaz. Now, Boaz, watch here. This is crazy. Happens to be a relative of Elimelech. Easy E. This is crazy. Watch. And the story goes on, and the two of them fall in love, and they get married. Boaz and, and Ruth. I, I would have to believe this to be true. And you have to understand this story before I give you the points. Ruth never would have suspected that the field that she was picking up scraps in just to get a little to eat before too long, she would then, by way of marriage, be the very owner of that field. It's crazy to me. And be a woman of great influence and notoriety in Israel. I mean, that's just like when God does something so good, you only say to yourself, I couldn't even make that up. You ever had that happen before? where God's goodness and grace comes. And, it was, and by the way, it's never of your doing. Yes, you have your part to pray and to believe and to work. But when God blesses you in a way that is so far above what you could have imagined, that's when you just know, man, God's amazing. That's what happens to Ruth. It's a tremendous story. Now, here's the thing. Some people look at Ruth's story and they say, well, lucky Ruth. You know, God just blessed her, right? She's just a recipient of God's sovereign blessings. You ever seen someone who just seems so blessed? And you lie to yourself and you say, well, man, God could surely do it for them. Well, of course God does it for them. Yeah, he wouldn't do it for me, though, but he would do it. He'd do it for them. Ain't that right, Janice? Sometimes in life we say that. It's so good to see you. But here's, here's the thing. Are you a child of God? Are you saved? So you're a child of God, which means everything that God has is yours, should you have need. And should God say you're ready for it, 
See, some of us were wanting things now, and it's not that God's not going to give it to us. It might just be that we're not quite ready for it yet. So God, in his sovereignty and his character, says, I'm going to bless you, but I need to perfect some other things in you first so you can handle my blessing. System, don't get frustrated when you see somebody else's story working out far better than yours. They've already had to work through some things. Don't discredit what God is doing in your own life so that he can then bless you. That's why the Bible says that we should never compare ourselves to anyone. You want to know what happens when you compare your life to somebody else? You get miserable. Then you get bitter, and then you get jealous, and then you miss out on what God's trying to do. Wasn't in my notes. That's for free. You're welcome. I wouldn't disagree with that. I wouldn't disagree that, man, you know what? God just blessed her. But I think... I think the sovereignty of God had something to do with it, but I also think there's a lot more at play here. Whether it's consciously or unconsciously, I think that Ruth set some things into motion by the way that she carried herself and the attitude of her heart and of her mind. And I believe that those qualities in her life, those attributes, those things that we see, literally drew the favor and the blessings of God to her. So when I read the story, I see five things. I know it's not my three. Dave, if you're watching online, I've got my three with the bonus of plus two just for you, my friend. I think there's five things, and we could probably find more, but these are five that stood out to me that because Ruth did these things or she had these things in her attitude, in her heart, and in her spirit, that the blessings of God came upon her. And friends, I want you to hear me very close. I believe that if we have these things, the blessings of God will fall upon us. So they're worth noting. So let me just talk about them real quick. Number one, I believe Ruth was determined to serve God no matter the cost. Got to start here. You got to get to the place here where no matter what, how I feel, what they think, what the world thinks, what experience has possibly shown me that I will serve God no matter what the cost and that I will do what God says no matter what I have to give up. I find it funny, even in my life too, that the things that God wants me to give up are so he can do something for me, but I want to hold on to them. That's like, okay, in an illustration form, if I could just think of this on the fly, that's like someone having like the perfect thing that you want. And all you got to do is do two things. I'm just making this up. And you just go, really want that, but I don't want to give up these two things. You're sacrificing that for whatever this is. It's amazing to me that the God of the universe, who we trust, who we know, who we believe, we read his word, we understand it all. We know he has good things for us, but what we do is we say, hey, look, I want to serve you, God, but there's a contingency plan over here that says, I'm going to serve you, but not here, or not when I feel like it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Can't do it. Ruth shows us you got to be determined to serve God, no matter what it costs you, no matter what you got to give up. Uh, we, we go back to the story, Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. It says, then they, they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, I love that right there. 
Entreat me not to leave you or to turn my back from following after you. Remember, she's speaking to a widow. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. Are you seeing how big this commitment to this person is? When you're willing to say, wherever you die, I'll die. Man, you're signing on. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And then I love this, verse 18. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, when Naomi saw this Ruth lady, man, I ain't getting rid of her. You ever had somebody that just keeps clinging everywhere you go all the time in that conversation? Road trip, they insert themselves. Family get together, hey, how do... <laughs> I just think of Christmas vacation. <laughs> They're out there, the lights are lit, and cousin Eddie's there. Hey, Eddie. Anyways, moving on. So, so when she saw, I just brought up Christmas in April. You're welcome, Timmy. So when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking. Ruth was determined. Powerfully. Come on, say it with me. Say determined. She was determined. Of course, she's following Naomi. She's really following God's plan for her life. Don't forget that. Ruth chapter 2, verse 11. And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth. That's a very big deal back in the Bible, y'all. That's massively important. You've left it all and have come to people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay you your work, and a full reward will be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wing you have come for refuge. Man, when you look at Ruth, man, she is like the Abraham of old. She leaves absolutely everything. And to you and I today, if Ruth is speaking to us, she's saying that you have to be determined to follow Jesus in everything you do. Secondly, Ruth was hopeful when she could have been bitter. Man, this is powerful. Ruth chapter two, verse two. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to your field. Let me go to the field and glean after the grain, after him whose sight I might find favor. And she said, go, my daughter. Now, here's two widows. They've got nothing. And Ruth said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to glean after the reapers and I'm going to find favor with someone. Did we see that determination again? But you know what else I see? I see someone who's full of hope. It wasn't like, well, let me just go out into this field and maybe I'll get lucky to find some stuff and we won't starve to death. She said, no, I'm going out into the field. I'm going to find favor with someone. I'm going to get something for you to eat. I'm going out to do this. Someone I'm going to find, they're going to treat me with kindness. She was expecting something good. Ruth was, but look at Naomi. Ruth, chapter 1, verse 19. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty, speaking of God, has dealt very bitterly with me. Well, that doesn't sound too hopeful. I went out full 
and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. You know what we have right here? We have a negative Nancy going on. If your name's Nancy watching, sorry, I'm not speaking to you. We got a negative Naomi. Blaming everything on God. But you know what? Ruth doesn't. Ruth doesn't do that. Ruth never echoes that bitterness, not even in the slightest way. Nothing she says, nothing that she does. Ruth is still expecting good things to happen to her. And what I love about Ruth is she doesn't pick up the spirit of bitterness from Naomi. Now, let's just shoot straight. Have you found in your life that when you hang around with negative people, you become negative? Have you ever determined that when you hang out with people that are full of hope and joy and the spirit of God, that you have hope and you have joy? So could it just be that who we surround ourselves with will say a lot about how we act and what we think and what we say and what we do? We know the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, that bad company corrupts good character. So we see right there that the wrong people could, could hurt us. Now, there's a lot to be said about that, and there's a lot to be said about how we influence people around us that are the opposite of us. But who we hang with, who we choose to live life with, who we begin to put at our table on a regular basis says a lot about our mindset. And it says a lot about how we act. So we've got to be careful, and we've got to choose now, I know some of you are thinking, does this apply to family members at the Thanksgiving table? Nope, got to still show up. Bad joke number two, I'll just take that out of the notes right there. It's like the little guy, you went to watch a Little League baseball game and he showed up late. There's a field, there's a team out on the field and then there's this one little boy and he's sitting in the dugout and he looks at the scoreboard and the scoreboard says it's 18 to nothing. So the man walks up to the little boy and says, man, he goes, aren't you discouraged? He says, no, absolutely not. He says, well, how's that? He goes, we haven't had the chance to bat yet. It's a matter of perspective. You've heard me say this before. You could be a vulture, which are ugly birds that fly around looking for nothing but dead things. Or you could be the hummingbird who's looking for sweet things. What's the principle? You'll always find what you're looking for. So the question is, is what are you looking for? Man, I'm telling you, Ruth, she's like, I'm going to find something here. I'm going to find some food. I'm going to feed you. Everything's going to be okay. Come on, we need a Ruth in our lives. Amen, everyone said? Amen. Can I just challenge you real quick? Be a Ruth in someone's life. Be encouraging. Be full of hope. Be full of joy. Speak life. Life and death will empower the tongue and those who love it. We eat the fruit there. Uh, look for the sweet things encourage one another put a smile on someone's face when things seem to be falling apart you put your arm around them and you love on them and you pray for them and you speak life into them you say well how do i do that when i'm hurting myself do i fake it no i don't fake it you be you but when someone comes around to put their arm around you they're trying to encourage you you know what you need to see that as god's working through a person to get to you let that joy come over all right, number three, Ruth moved in action. I believe this was an attribute that she had, that she displayed, that God said, I can work in that right there. She moved in, in action. In other words, she did something. 
This is powerful. She gave God something to work with. Watch here, Ruth 2, verse 2. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go out to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said, go daughter. Then she left and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech, easy E. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Boaz goes out there. He knows these are the fields. He knows he's got servants. He's got someone over. But then he looks out and he sees this lady. Now, at this point, we know the story because I've talked about it. They get married. But Boaz is going, huh, who's that? No, no, seriously. Who is that? I don't know. I'm just kind of going in the story here. He's not married. Sees a young woman in the field, his field. Started to get some anticipation. Who, who is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it's a, it's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, you know, please let me glean and gather up reapers among the sheaves. So she came and continued from the morning until now. Through, she rested a little in the house. So sun up to sundown. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now we're in a conversation. You will listen. Ooh, my daughter, will you not? That's a good man right there. If you're going to say, will you listen, you better put that with a question mark at the end. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. It's like, it's like will you listen compared to, will you listen? <laughs> Big difference. He says this, do not glean in another field. No, go for, I, I'm sorry. I just read this story. And I just go like, no, no ma'am. Listen, okay, listen, please don't go to another field. Man, this guy's got intent right here. He's like, stay in my field. Man, he saw Ruth, and he was like, good job, God. Some of you don't need to be looking at me that way, too, because that's, that's why I love church, man. Some of you who are single, you need to come to church, look around, and say, good job, God. Better watch that second look, though, just saying. So, so Boaz is like, please, please stay here in my field. But then he goes, but, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? Man, this guy's smart. It's like he pulled all the guys aside and said, all right, guys, look, here's the deal. We're going out in the fields today, and there's a young lady here. Her name is Ruth. She's staying in my field. Stay away. He's a smart guy right here. Some of you need to slow down when you read the Bible, man. You can kind of see how this works. Right there, he's like, Stay away. I've commanded them not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have, have drawn. In other words, they're going to draw water for you. Man, fascinating stuff. And so the story continues that she did that until the end of the harvest. She was a worker. She didn't just do it one time and then get the blessing of, of Boaz and say, well, okay, I've kind of put in some work here. I could tell this guy kind of likes me because, ladies, you know when guys kind of like you. And so... She's like, nah, she gets up and she keeps working and keeps going till the end of the harvest. And here's the deal. At any time, she could have sat down and just said, you know what, God, you see us. God, we're widows. We've lost our husbands. We don't have anything. 
Oh God, would you meet our needs? Oh God, would you open a door for us? They both may have starved if that was Ruth's approach. But instead, Ruth got up and she did something. Now listen to me close. It's good to pray. I'm not saying don't pray. Listen, I'm not even saying every once in a while you deserve a good old pity party. I think pity is the wrong word there. Let me correct myself. It's okay to be in a season of mourning. They're widows. And in the days of the Bible, that's a, if you've got no husband and you've got no sons and you're a widow, it's a dire situation. So I'm not saying don't pray. I'm just saying pray and get moving. When life hits you, there's a season to mourn. But joy is coming in the morning. And if joy comes, what does the Bible say? The joy of the Lord is my strength, so therefore it gets me up out of bed and I get moving. So faith without works, we know, is, is dead. See, Pastor, that's New Testament. All right, let's go Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 15. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place with which the Lord chooses, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce, watch here, and in all the work of your hands, so that you will surely rejoice. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 8, the Lord will command a blessing on your life in your storehouses into all which you set your hand. Listen to me. Be a person of action. Give God something to work with. You give God something to work with, he's God. And if God's your partner, dream big, work big, be big, all right? Put God to work, he's God. Okay, fourth thing as we bring this to a close. Ruth had a grateful heart. I believe Ruth drew the blessings of God because she had a grateful heart in the midst of a season where she could have been ungrateful because of everything that's gone wrong. Ruth 2, verse 10. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? In verse 11, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Man, and how you have left your father and your mother in land. Verse 12, The Lord repay you for your work, and full reward will be given by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you can take refuge. Listen, she was so grateful. She was grateful that Boaz took notice of her. She was grateful for his kind word, for his generosity, for his protection. She didn't take any of it for granted. And she never acted like any of it was owed to her. She was grateful. I believe Ruth's attitude attracted the blessings of God. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20 giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ listen it pays to be grateful and thankful you've heard us say it in this church a lot and we'll continue to say it life could be a lot worse 
a lot worse. I've had to keep that as my mentality. I'll carry it with me to the day that I go to meet Jesus. It could always be worse. So because it could always be worse, I guarantee I could find something in this time now to be thankful for. And so could you. She was thankful. And then lastly, point number five, Ruth put others before herself. In other words, she was a mighty servant. We've already read Ruth chapter 2, verse 11. She began to serve Naomi. Naomi, you've lost a lot. So where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. I'll die where you die. Sounds like someone who puts other people first. She could have been selfish in the moment, in her life. She could have went back home and built a life for herself. But she doesn't. She made someone else the big deal. Her mother-in-law. It's powerful. Proverbs eleven twenty-five: 25, the generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. I've, I don't remember where I came across the quote, but I loved it from the moment I heard it. And it simply said, you'll never come in last when putting others first. And I thought, huh, okay. I'll never come in last while putting others first. Kind of chewed on that for a little bit. Does it mean I don't take care of myself or my family? Well, as a husband, I serve my wife for my own needs. I raise her children. Sometimes I give up the things that I want to do or have so that they can. Then I started thinking even more when Jesus was speaking. When he said, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So therefore, I never come in last when putting others first. In other words, I'm like Jesus when I serve others. And the goal is to be like Jesus. Christian, Christ-like Christian, you look like Jesus act like Jesus, you talk like Jesus. That's, that's our goal, is to do all that. One of the blessings that Ruth got by putting others first, it's a powerful scripture. I'm going to read this and then we'll stand. I think the greatest blessing, without a doubt, that came into the life of Ruth was the child that she had together with Boaz. This is where it pays to slow down in the scriptures. I have to say this to myself all the time. Rich, slow down. Get through my Bible in a year. I want to get done before the year's done. Got a goal. Going over to Headstrong, right? You know what I'm talking about. Got to get that burner done before everyone else. Slow down. Okay. Not in the workout, though. You got to keep going. Ruth 4, 21. Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, 
Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Oh, now we're talking lineage. What lineage does Jesus come from? Oh, the lineage of David. So who was Ruth? She was the great-grandmother of King David. That's pretty cool. I think it's because of all the things that we talked about. God blessed her mightily. I mean, how would you like to say, like, hey, my great-grandson, listen, you grandparents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't wait for grandkids to come. They take first place over your own kids when they come. It's not even about your kids anymore. Now you start looking at your kids going, give me more. I need more. You treat the grandkids and give them stuff that you wouldn't give your kids. Right? So how would you like to be Ruth? When little David is born, get over here, you little whippersnapper, you. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, you want, you want more of that? Cool. Not coming back to my castle for the rest of the night. Have whatever you want. I know I'm embellishing a little bit here, but that had to be pretty cool. She got to see the young man rise up. Man, what a tremendous story.